in the final hour of the program. Also, uh, we'll look ahead to this uh, Braves weekend that we now are awaiting. Lawton Swan will talk some Clemson football with us. Home team Brandon League will join us here in hour number one, and we will talk about this uh, Braves series as well as Dave Holcomb, southernpigskin.com. We'll look at the weekend upcoming in the ACC. But the Braves, well, they just got to hand it to them uh, last night. BJ and Ben, 11-2. to Max Fried, not good. Uh, for basically the entirety of that ball game. And now it comes back to Atlanta for sure uh, for at least one, maybe two, if the Braves can't win it tomorrow afternoon, evening, whatever the case may be, depending on what the Red Sox and Astros do tonight. Yeah, we talked about our collective optimism yesterday on the show. And, you know, you you had a great finish to the game in, in, in game four. Uh, you had four runs in the ninth inning. You were entering a game five where L.A., albeit at home, and, and, and they're very difficult to beat uh, in their home stadium, L.A. was going to go with a bullpen game. The Braves had Max Freed. You felt like the momentum was on Atlanta's side, and that was a disappointing result, uh, especially after the home run from Freeman early. I was watching uh, the start of the game with my dad. I looked over and said, they're going to do it. They're, they're going to do it. I, you had the early lead on the road. You felt like the fact that L.A., already in their bullpen, had to go to their bullpen right away, that that, that was going to be a ripple effect that was going to cause the Dodgers a lot of problems. And uh, the Braves got up 2 to nothing, and then L.A. scored the next 11 runs of the game. So credit the Dodgers for their resiliency. That's what championship teams do, and it was never going to be easy. And I think you can look at this now, Ben, Kevin, through kind of two different perspectives. Everybody's disappointed you didn't close it out last night. Everybody's apprehensive about the future look. You were up 3-1 last year, and you weren't able to close out L.A. Being honest, we're all apprehensive about it. But if you would have said at the beginning of the series, entering game six, Atlanta's going to have the series lead, they're going to be up three games to two, and they're going to have a home game on Saturday to try to clinch it, every single one of of us would have taken that and felt good about it. So Atlanta is still in the driver's seat. you got to find a way to bounce back. Ian Anderson's been really big for the most part in his career in the postseason. You're going up against Scherzer, but I think you got to turn the page. You got to move on. Don't worry about game five. Focus on game six and and get it done in Atlanta Saturday. We knew we knew uh we knew this Dodgers team was not gonna go quietly into the night, right? We knew that Kevin and BJ, this team was gonna come out resilient, very, very aggressive, and they were gonna try to, you know, uh lay it on uh Atlanta early. I I'm not surprised necessarily at the fact that the Dodgers found a way to get a big win. I am a little surprised at how many runs, which I know you're always talking about wasting runs. You know, 11-2 is a lot of runs. But, you know, I, you know, I, I heard what Freddie Freeman said about every time the Braves, uh, you know, find themselves in this position, they, they, they get to talking about the past, right? Oh, uh, guys were saying this happened this time last year. And he goes, yeah, I understand it. But we're going to we're gonna have to go out there and prove that we can get over this hump. Those last six hours or this, or this next game is going to be crucial because if you are the Braves, whether you was on the team last year or you got here after the trade deadline, you inherited these good and bad uh, trades. So I, I just think that, for me, the Braves understand you know what's at stake. And I, it's easy for us to say, oh, man, you're back at Truist. I get this thing. Look, this Dodgers team has done what they're trying to do a year ago. We're hoping it's not deja vu. As you can see, I'm still repping. I am not switching hat colors because they lost. I'm not getting into all that. But Kevin and BJ, for me, this is what sports is about. It's, hey, man, what made you guys a World you know, a world Series caliber team? We finally got over the hump. Finally beat the Dodgers because 
Like I, like I said, I mean, the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. That, that doesn't mean the Braves can't go out there and get it done. They seem to wake up when they get down 3-1. I don't know how many teams, you know, need to be down two, two, uh, two games or elimination to, to wake up. But I think this Braves team is going to be fine. You lost game five. It happens. It happened last year. But I don't think this is your, this your, this is your Braves from 2020. And I like their shots. I give them as good a shot as any uh, come, uh, come game six on Saturday. And again, I think you should feel confident. Uh, quite frankly, uh, BJ and Ben. I mean, again, this is a, this is not like this is a Braves team that hasn't won uh, anything. They've won 17 out of 19 earlier this season. They've come back from five games down in the division. Go out there and trust yourself. And again, it's not like you are coming into game six going, well, we got Jesse Chavez and uh, we'll, we'll try to see if we can uh, find somebody else to pitch. No, you got Ian Anderson. You have Charlie Morton as your two guys coming up who've been very good for you. And look, was Ian Anderson great last time? No. Uh, doesn't that lead you to believe that maybe he'd be a little bit more on it in the second go-round? Yes, I think it would. I think we're setting up for a big-time pitchers matchup. Do the Braves play well at Truist? Yes, they do. Is that home field a huge advantage for the Braves? Yes, it is. Uh, again, I'm looking at it uh, from a standpoint of last year. Dodgers came back from 3-1 to one in an you know, antiseptic environment in in uh, what uh outside of dallas at rangers at the new rangers ballpark where you had hardly any fans uh that were there and look at how much of a difference it made when the dodger fans got into it big time big time difference so look i'm still i'm still positive i'm not like again i don't want to rehash the ain't no curses thing but there's not look you, you played awful last night that happens you gave up 17 hits there's nothing curse worthy to be mentioned about that you you played Awful. And as has been said, it's not like the Dodgers, who are defending champs, who won the second most games in the National League, are just going to lay down. That's not what they I mean, again, that's not what they do. So they they came back, they fought, they had a good game, and now you've got to go give it to them again here in game six. And uh, I, I think the Braves should be focused and, and ready to give a better effort uh, coming up here on Saturday, whether it be five or eight o'clock, depending on, again, what happens with uh, the Astros and the uh, and the Red Sox tonight, and I know these games never go how we think, right? I mean, I was I was convinced that yesterday was going to be a you know a, a game where Max Fried controlled the evening, controlled the night. The Braves scored uh, a lot of runs, and that didn't happen. Uh, when you look at it on paper, it it feels like Ian Anderson versus Max Scherzer will be a three to two game, and we'll see how the bullpens come into play. But I mean. What does your gut tell you about Saturday, guys? I mean, do you think we are looking at a low-scoring game given the pitchers that are on the mound? Or the way this series has gone with, with home runs coming from all sides, I mean, you think we're more likely this weekend to see 7-6 to six or 8-5 to five or something like that? I, I expect it to be a back-and-forth. I really, really do. I expect this Dodgers and Braves team to kind of have a being a back-and-forth affair. And I don't know what it is about these late innings with this Braves team. I mean, they see, I mean, both them and the Dodgers find a way to get it done uh, late, but I think it's going to come down to this Braves lineup. I think they're going to mash. I really, really think that sometimes, you know, if you if you, if you you just got here, if you were sorry those guys, you just got here, you're saying to yourself, dude, these, I mean, you guys were up 3-1 last year. I mean, you watch it from you watch it from the outside in, you're saying, how did it happen? As you mentioned, Kevin, the Dodgers show you why they are who they are. I mean, think about it. They're doing this, no Clayton Kershaw, and they're still just as good of a team. But if you are the Braves, you are saying to yourself, look, man, we got to prove it to ourselves, man. We got it. We got it. We you know. We got to silence the noise. Forget the dollars. You're gonna have that, but it's not. It's not. It's not how many fights you had, people. It's who you fought, and you're not gonna get a better opponent 
Dennis Dodgers team, BJ, I expect it to be a back and forth affair, but I do think that home field advantage, it definitely helped them Dodgers. I see it helping this Braves team. You get to be comfortable, you get to be loose, and you don't want to go to Avanti game seven. Don't don't leave it a chance, to, a, a, a one-game win-all series. Go ahead and try to handle business on, uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, anything can happen in a one-game scenario, and I think baseball is so interesting and, pro- and so antithetical, BJ, to how we view series. I mean, baseball is the only one that really plays series on the regular, but when you look at sports in general, NBA goes to the playoffs every single game, the narrative changes. Oh, oh man, it's just the, 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 ma- the matchup's going one way. There's no way to stop player X, Y, Z, whatever it's going. Baseball, it's literally like okay, we lost. Like the mindset of baseball is, okay, we lost. We'll go play again tomorrow. That's that's kind of the mindset of baseball. I know it gets amped up a little bit when you're in the postseason, but I think in terms of losses, baseball shakes the losses off the easiest because they lose so many games. Even the good, I mean, the Giants won 106 games, which means what? They lost 50. They lost 50 times. It didn't go their way, uh, and they just had to pick it up and move on. The Braves, obviously, with 88 wins, lost a whole lot more than that. So I think a, a number of times when you talk about losses hurting and things of that nature, it's so uh, an- an- antithetical to the way baseball is played where one loss, especially in a series, teams are looking at it like, okay, it's a loss. We can still go get them tomorrow. It starts anew with tomorrow's starting pitching, and I think that's what the Braves have to be looking at is our lineup is still very, very good. Jorge Soler should be back, uh, maybe in a little bit better role uh, coming up on Saturday. And look, you have Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton, two cracks to get this thing done. That's not bad. That is, you, you could do a whole lot worse if you're the Braves trying to go out there and clinch a series than those two guys. And they are two guys that have pitched very well for you. So I think you enter it at home with some confidence to go out there and try to get this thing done. And your offense, you know, you were still up early, jumping on the pitchers. And then I think once they kind of changed, your approach changed. And I, I saw that last night. Uh, they bring in Bruce Dar Gratterall. Uh, Comes in throwing 103 miles an hour. What happens? First two pitches, swing, out, out. And you're going, wait a minute. What happened to patience? What happened to making this bullpen work and you're bailing guys out after one pitch? I think the approach changed, the kind of the mindset changed, and you got to reset and go after it tomorrow in game six. I know, I know this has been asked a lot, you know, with the game six. If you're Brian Snicker, do you do you manage it like it's a game seven? And I don't I don't know what scenarios acutely could arise that would kind of prompt you to do that. I I, I mean, I, I can't imagine there would be a set of circumstances where you would turn to Charlie Morton and bring him in in game six. Uh, maybe if Tyler Matzik had pitched yesterday, maybe you'd be more hesitant to go to him tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, is there – when you hear people say, do you manage it like it's a game seven, what does that mean? Is there anything tangible there that Brian Snicker does differently? Because I, I do think you look at this game with a sense of urgency. I do think you treat it like it's a deciding game. But I don't know in terms of decisions made – how that really factors yeah, in. I think it affects the Dodgers more than it does the Braves, quite honestly, because the Dodgers have to put the moves in place as if there is no tomorrow because there might not be. The Braves still have uh, something to fall back on, but I, I, I do think with the day off, it kind of resets everything from a bullpen standpoint at this time of year. You get a day off, everybody should be ready to go and give you th- two, three outs if that's what it takes you know, out of that bullpen. So I, I think that's kind of a reset. I do think if you're... 
Uh, Brian Snicker, you have that game seven to fall back on if you're – and that's what I think was hurtful about yesterday. Not so much that you lost, is that you didn't really force the hand of the Dodgers to try to do some things they didn't want to do. Overuse some guys. Push guys deeper in pitch counts uh, to, uh, to to push them to gain six where maybe you say, man, this guy's thrown a lot in the last three or four ball games. Maybe we don't use him tonight, and you didn't really do that. You kind of bailed him out and let them kind of take the game over and manage it and play it the way they wanted to because it was, you know, out of hand. But I do something to it. I'll ask you guys both uh, before we have to step aside, home team, Brandon League. If you're going to lose, especially in baseball, where runs a lot of times are at a premium, would you rather get beat 11-2 to or 4-2 to and then have to go to game six? See, now you're buying it. Now you're. No, buying I'm just saying, but, but I like it. No, no I'm just I, saying I, it more in just the way baseball is played. You don't often go and say, "We just got 17 hits." That is an that is an outlier for the way baseball is played. Maybe you have a seven eight hit night. You don't get 17, uh, even in the regular season in ball games like that. I'd rather lose 11 to two because there are only so many runs that are going to be scored. And the Dodgers, I'm not saying that it's not the right phraseology to say they wasted the runs, but three two 11 to two, it counts the same. And it's hard to follow up a performance like they just had with another one of that magnitude. I would rather lose 11 to 2 because, BJ, you, you kind of winning me over, you know, with his good versus best, greatest, and all these different <laughs> things. But 11 to 2, it's still one. I, but I think Kevin said it the right way. When you are the Braves, if you lose games, it's kind of like being a defensive back getting beat deep. All right, I got beat deep. All right, fine, I got to go back out there. But I do think that the Braves didn't do in game in game uh, five what they're going to have to do in game six. They got to apply pressure. They applied pressure. In game four, you got to apply pressure because when you apply pressure on the Dodgers, it forces their hand. Kevin, as you mentioned, hopefully that happens in game six because, good lord, man, we don't want it. You don't. You don't want to make it. A, you know, uh, <laughs> a game seven. To, you yeah. know, uh, you know that's a, it's an end all be all yeah. type scenario. Anything can happen in one game in baseball. I mean, even if you're saying, oh, they don't even have their best pitcher, anything can happen when you just look at one game micro in baseball. We'll come back. Home team, Brandon Lee, going to join us. We'll talk about those uh, Braves getting ready for game six when we return. It's three and out on the. Great to be here with you on this Friday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll chat with Dave Holcomb, southernpigskin.com, coming up in about 15 minutes, efforting home team Brandon Leak to join us here on the program. As, again, we talk Braves back at home, home field advantage uh, for the Braves, and they've been very good uh, at home uh, here, BJ and Ben. I know Dodger Stadium has been kind of, um, a magical mystery place sometime for the Braves to try to play well. Hasn't been the case at, at, at the Truist Park. They've played really, really well there uh, during their, their short time there. And I think you think about home field advantage and kind of where the value lies, right, uh, at, at the professional level in a sport like baseball. I think it's comfortability. And I think for whatever reason, you know, Max Free, maybe it was something wasn't right physically, but but he didn't look comfortable like he normally normally does last night and I think for Ian Anderson that's that's where you value home field advantage is you have a pitcher that's still very young you're in a game with massive massive implications and you're going to be pitching in a place where not only are your home fans there but you know the dimensions you know the mound you know it's where you've spent a good majority of your career so I think more so than maybe at the plate or you know, just giving the overall team a boost. I think if I'm the starting pitcher, especially if I'm a young starter like Ian Anderson, there there's a difference in starting on the road in L.A. in front of 50,000 in a place where maybe you've pitched a couple of times versus pitching at Truist where you know everything about 
you know, your routine in the pregame, you know, everything about the field, you know, the sight lines, everything. I think that's where the advantage lies in home field advantage in a baseball playoff game is the level of comfortability for the starting pitcher, especially if that starting pitcher is a relatively young player like Ian Anderson. And when you're at home, you are comfortable. When you're at home, like you said, I'm understanding the surroundings, but it's the magnitude of this moment. I mean, uh, the thing about the Braves fan base, they're going to always say, yeah, we wish we would have got it done uh, in L.A., but hey, man, uh, you know, you got to deal with them Dodgers at home. We have uh, located uh, home team Brandon Leak, uh, co-host of the home team in Hamilton show uh, there in Atlanta on 680 The Fan. Home team, welcome to the show. How are you? Ready to go, guys. Hoping that uh, Atlanta gets what they're looking for this weekend. Oh, oh, certainly. We're all uh, hoping that way. And and again, I know fans like to play into the curse thing. I personally don't necessarily believe in it. But uh, you look at what happened last night. How did the Braves shake that off? Is it just, look, bad in multiple phases of that game, and you just move forward and shake it off? If it's baseball, you lose some like that sometimes and go to game six. Well, yeah, you shake that off. I mean, you're in the series. You're in a series with the defending world champions. You know, five games through, and the series has personality. You have three games where teams won in their final at-bats, and then you have the last two games where both teams were on the good end and the bad end of blowouts. You know, Braves win 9-2, to and then the Dodgers last night, 11-2. to So you're in a series, and really, uh, you know, as a Braves fan, you should, you know, even though it doesn't feel like it after you give up 17 hits and 11 runs, that you are in the position you want to be. When you left Atlanta, you wanted to win one game in Los Angeles and come back to Atlanta up three games to two. You won one game in Los Angeles, and you come back to Atlanta up three games to two. So you're exactly where you wanted to be outside of getting the series over when you left Atlanta. And so now it comes back to whether or not the things that got the Braves to where they are now uh, can get them over the hump because you're going to get the very best that the Los Angeles Dodgers have to give. And Scherzer goes tomorrow for the Dodgers. Uh, Ian Anderson has had some really big starts already, including in the postseason in his young career. What are you expecting to see out of Ian Anderson against Scherzer in a game this big? And what's going to be the biggest key for him to have one of those great starts? I think striking guys out. You know, his first start in the series, he didn't make it past three innings. And when he's been very successful, he's had some strikeouts early, kept his pitch count, pitch count low and got strikeouts early in games. That didn't happen, and he had to get yanked. Now, the game that he got yanked earlier in the series, the Braves ended up winning in their final at-bat, and the bullpen did a very good job. But I think for him, if he can get to five innings, he can strike guys out and keep his pitch count low and don't turn this into a situation where Brian Snicker has to use seven pitchers just to clean it up to see where his pitching can be, I think that's the best thing he can do for himself and for his team. When the Hawks had the best record in, uh, in the East, you know, not too many years removed, they had to deal with them Cavs and LeBron. When it comes to this Braves team, I mean, four years with Snit and Alex Anthopoulos, four years, I mean, they have to deal with these pesky Dodgers. What is it going to be like for this Braves team, especially uh, Freddie Freeman, when they do hopefully get over the hump on Saturday night and they finally, you know, exercise some demons? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a, it is a thing, you know, and, you know, outside of the teams in Atlanta, you know, you can go back through the annals of history and, and, you know, look at other franchises, you know, the, the Bulls or the Pistons in the 80s couldn't get past the Celtics and then the Bulls can get past the Pistons that they finally did. And so I think it's one of those things. I think more importantly, though, the Braves are at the doorstep 
And you've been up three games to one now two years in a row. You don't have Ronald Acuna Jr. or Marcel Ozuna this year, but really this is a different Braves team after the trades were made by Alex Anthopoulos. And the bottom line is the Braves do have enough to win. You could argue last year that the Braves weren't as good of a team. I know that sounds crazy uh, having Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, on the team last year, not this year. But you could argue this year, uh, last year, the Dodgers did have the better team and the Braves maybe did not. Now, when you look at what happened to Joe Kelly last night, uh, what happened to Justin Turner, they're losing the Dodgers guys along the way. They already don't have... Trevor Bauer, they already don't have Clayton Kershaw, they already don't have Max Muncy, so, you know, the Braves have demonstrated they have enough to be as good as the Dodgers this year, they just have to prove it in 27 outs coming up this weekend with two games to win one if they want to go to the World Series. And again, uh, you look at this Braves team coming into the weekend, and, and home team, I know, I, I, I can't explain it, I guess I'll ask you, why are... Atlanta fans the way they are when it comes to losing a game. I, I, and, and, again, I don't know if you are a big Atlanta's a cursed town guy or not. I just simply think you haven't performed well in crunch time and finished games off when you've had the chance. But uh, why are they feeling this way about a team they should feel really confident about? Well, I don't use the term curse. I don't believe in a curse. But there is a thing, and it is something because – you're right. To a point, you look at this team, all right, we lost the game last night, but you got one in L.A. that you need to get three games to two. However, uh, you have been up three games to one. The Braves have, over the annals of their history, been up three games to one in five different series, different types of series, and they have not come away with wins. We know of a very famous football game where the team that is here in Atlanta was up and they did not win. There was a very good team with Dominique Wilkins, in the 80s, that was up three games to two against Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics, and they did not win. So I'm not saying it's a curse because I really don't believe in that. I think at the end of the day, the, 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 the Braves and teams in Atlanta haven't been cursed. They have been outcoached. They have been out-executed, and they have been outplayed at certain critical moments. And if the Braves want to start a new chapter with a bunch of new fans and new young fans, and they want to turn a page and etch something in stone that's a little bit different, win one of these two games over the weekend at home with one of the most raucous crowds in all of sports, or else they're going to be added to the list of other occurrences where there has been a thing. And you mentioned it there. There have been a lot of big games, of course, in Atlanta uh, over the years. What's the atmosphere going to be like uh, tomorrow when, with the Dodgers in town and a spot in the World Series, at least for the Braves, on the line? Oh, it probably will rec- uh, register on somebody's Richter, st- uh, Richter scale. It's going to be a madhouse inside of Truist Park and you know, outside the surrounding uh, parts of the Battery Atlanta here where the ballpark is placed. They have a big jumbo screen right outside of, uh, of the gates where people convene a little grassy area and everybody in the Battery, all the sports bars and all the places – where you can watch everybody's going to be glued that can't get into the building. Um, so it will be a home field advantage. Whatever that means in baseball or how that affects a batter with two strikes or how that affects a pitcher with three balls, you know, those things will be played out and we'll talk about them. But it won't be because of a lack of energy from the Atlanta Brave fans. And, you know, hopefully they can just get off to a good start, have some good pitching, and have a good finish to beat one of the best teams in all of baseball. That if, you know, come Saturday night, Braves finally get over the hump and get back to the World Series, regardless of what happens in the World Series, 
we don't have to hear no more of this twenty-eight to three or <laughs> the, uh, the last uh, going up against Denver and you know uh, you know Eugene Robinson or whatever you know uh, before they played them all these quote the Georgia curse is it real or is it just something that Georgia you know uh, Georgia fans just have grown to know and love about these pro sports teams? There have been too many things that have not gone the way of Atlanta sports teams and Atlanta sports fans. How about have a thing that goes the way of the Braves, the fans in the city one time, which may lead to a cavalcade of other good things happening for the city. If they don't win, you still were up three to one. You still had the final two games at home, and you still had Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton going the last two games. You have to find a way to adapt to the situation, overcome the adversity, and find a way to get to the World Series in 2021. Home team, Brandon Leak joining us here. And home team, you look at this Braves team with Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, even though he's just now eligible to come back, has been big for the Braves down the stretch in the postseason. It seems like the moves Alex Anthopoulos made, uh, these are the guys that have been contributing on, on top of you know Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley uh, coming down the stretch. Who do you think plays the hero, uh, if you will, for Atlanta on Saturday if they come out on top? Well, three guys I'm looking uh, to do some damage, Freddie Freeman, Eddie Rosario, because he's been hot uh, for the majority of the city, and uh, Austin Riley. He's had a bit of a dip in his production, but you could argue uh, he should get some MVP votes. You know, what does that mean? Maybe sixth or seventh. But the way that he performed all year long, the way he performed against the Milwaukee Brewers, um, he is a guy, I think, if he comes up with one or two big hits, a big home run, something that gets a rally going or keeps one going, I think those three guys, along with what happens in the back end of the bullpen, those three guys will be the guys I'm going to have on profile to lead the charge of the Braves getting over the hump and beating the Dodgers. All right, home team, i got to ask you this before we let you go. It's the, it's the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Braves have a lead. Who are you most comfortable with pitching on the mound for the Braves? Who are you most nervous about pitching for the Atlanta Braves? You know, I'm not really nervous about the back end of the bullpen. I think you just stick with what works. You you, you go with Mentor, you go with Matic, you go with Jackson, you go with uh, Will Smith. And, you know, Will Smith is a roller coaster ride, that's for sure. But he's still, at the end of the day, one of the best closers when you look at his record uh, in baseball. And, you know, I'm, as, as, as funny as it sounds, that's not the part that concerns me. I really think the Braves pitching in the back end of the bullpen can be good enough. I'm just, uh, my concern will be if there will be a power outage with the offense or some rally that doesn't get the base hit or the home run or the double that makes the difference, and there are a bunch of Braves standing with runners in scoring position. But um, if I have to say who worries me the most, I would probably have to say uh, – I would probably have to say – I would probably have to – you know, I can't say. I, I, I'm <laughs> with Mentor, Matic, Jackson, or Smith, I don't have a problem with anybody in the back end, and I'm just going to stick to that. Home Team Brandon Leak, our guest here on 3 and Out. Home Team, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Home Team Brandon Leak joining us here on 3 and Out. And, again, you should feel confident about those guys and their ability to go out and, and get the job done. We'll come back. We're talking some college football. Dave Holcomb, southernpigskin.com, joins us when we return here on 3 and Out. Uh, Coach Spurrier just always says my name with such gusto. <laughs> and Kevin! 
Oh, we love Coach Spurrier. I appreciate him doing that. But, uh, again, we've got a lot of football to get to here this weekend. Joining us from uh, southernpigskin.com, covers the ACC. Dave Holcomb joins us here on 3 and Out. Dave, welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing fantastic. You look at uh, a game here in this state, Georgia, going from the state, Georgia Tech and Virginia up in Charlottesville, a place where the Yellow Jackets traditionally don't play very well. Is this one where uh, you, you look at Jeff Collins, a chance to make a little bit of a statement going on the road and beating a, a Virginia team who's maybe a little bit better than preseason we thought they might be? Yeah, I mean, it would be a huge win if they could get it done. Um, I think if they're going to win, they're going to have to score. Because uh, Brandon Armstrong is having a terrific season for Virginia behind center, leading the nation in passing yards, and he's going to get his yards. So um, if Georgia Tech's going to keep up, they're going to have to get a big performance from their offense and quarterback Jeff Sims. How do you evaluate, Dave, what the Yellow Jackets have done this season in that you know, you beat North Carolina, had a big multi-score win over the Tar Heels in Atlanta. You go back to the start of the year, you lost the game late to Northern Illinois. How do you evaluate kind of the overall direction of uh, where Georgia Tech is? I think they're trending in the right direction. Um, we, weird things happen in week one, um, probably more so in, the, in professional football, but uh, still in college, you know, it's the first week of the season. I'm willing to, you know, a, a program like Georgia Tech that's, that's building, um, I'm, I'm willing to overlook a, a, a late loss like that to Northern Illinois in week one. And since then, you know, they play really good football, almost beating Clemson. Clemson's not what they were last year or in years past, but they played that team tough on the road, and, and their only other loss is to a really good pit team. So um, Georgia Tech's, I think, playing, playing well. I think they're having a good season. And speaking of that pit team, I mean, you think about how well they've played uh, this year, you know, uh, playing Clemson this weekend. How big of a statement could it be uh, for Pitt to get a big win against Clemson, even if Clemson, as you mentioned, down this year? Well, I think it would be a huge win. Um, Pitt has beaten Clemson before, but um, it still would be a, 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 a historic win for Pat Narduzzi, for the Pitt program. Uh, this is a team that it's still kind of weird to say that they're – Playoff conversation, but they are, especially if they win this game, because they become the favorite in the ACC if they if they win this game. I think honestly they already are entering this game, um, and the question kind of becomes how does Pitt handle being the favorite um, rather than the the spoiler, where they've they've done well uh, being the spoiler in years past, being Clemson, they beat Miami number two overall in 2017. Um, but how does Pitt handle being? favorite and and how do they handle um you know the pressure the pressure of of expecting to win the their division or or the acc but um to answer your question yeah i think this is a huge opportunity for pitt at home and a clemson team that's not a juggernaut um a huge statement win for them and uh, uh, Pitt might rue that uh, loss to Western Michigan. But you look at uh, at Kenny Pickett, uh, Dave, and some people saying quietly in a uh, potential Heisman race, uh, nearly 2,000 yards uh, passing already, 21 touchdowns to just one interception. Uh, is he quietly a guy that nobody's talking about that might be putting up Heisman-worthy numbers, especially if Pitt can go and play in the ACC championship game at 11-1? and Absolutely. Uh, I... I... I see him more than probably the other quiet or favorite players in the Heisman race, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I really like Kenny Pickett. I, I love what he's doing um, 
you know, in terms of his efficiency, a really high completion percentage, second in the ACC, leads the ACC in yards per attempt. Um, and that touchdown to interception ratio you mentioned is just fantastic, best in the country. Um, that with the passing yards, he doesn't have as many passing yards as Armstrong, but you throw in you know almost as many passing yards as Armstrong and all of those efficient stats and not turning the ball over, he's just having a terrific season and uh, somebody that I think absolutely deserves to be mentioned in the Heisman race. Dave, not a lot of people talking about Wake Forest. And, uh, you know, they're 6-0. and They're in the top 15. Have a tough game this weekend at Army. But uh, Wake yeah. Forest, how do, you, how do you evaluate what they've done and maybe what they could do the rest of the year? I think offensively they're, they're a very dangerous team. Um, they have been very good offensively the last few years. Uh, and I just think they're – their goal, Dave Clawson, I remember talk, he talked about it in the summer. He wanted to be more efficient. Their red zone efficiency isn't quite as, as stellar as it was last year, but they're better on third down. They're fourth in the ACC in third down conversion percentage. Uh, last year they were ninth. So they're, they're putting up points in yards as they, they always have, but that efficiency moving uh, the chains on third down, I think, adds another element and uh, makes their overall team better because it's, their defense off the field and that's I think the question of how far will this team go it is you know well how, how much can the defense improve down the stretch because they've been average to below average in the ACC in terms of yards allowed and points allowed so um, maybe that isn't a problem uh, even though I, I agree with you it's a, it's a tough road game against Army maybe that's the defense um, isn't exposed against Army or it's not exposed against Duke but how does it handle North Carolina on the road and, and number 18, NC State, uh, in November? And that's really where well, those two games are really going to determine Wake Forest season. De'Aaron King out for the season again for the Miami Hurricanes. Manny Diaz got a, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for him uh, to even try to save faith for the rest of the year. But how hot is this season? Do you think Manny Diaz survives and is he back in 2022? I don't know. Um, you know, I think he should be, but it, I was reading about it um, this week in terms of the quotes coming from the athletic department in Miami, and his seat sounds very, very warm, <laughs> very hot. And uh, they've got two ranked teams coming up, NC State, and then a road game at Pitt. So um, they could very easily fall to two and six. And I don't, I mean, at, at, that question, at that point, the question becomes, does he even make it through the season? And that's kind of shocking when Miami was starting the season as a, as a real favorite, maybe not a favorite, but one of the two favorites, I guess, in the, in the Coastal Division. And um, it, I guess it just goes to show you how quickly things can change and, and maybe how knee-jerk reaction some um, athletic departments have. I, I don't want to defend Manny Diaz too much, but they, he had Miami playing well last year, and they ended on a sour note. And um, that, I guess, is carried over into this season. But I, I don't think they should give up on him yet. But um, to answer your question, I think his seat is really, really warm, and he's going to have to – I think he might have to win one of these next two games and uh, get an upset in order to save his job. Dave, finally, uh, folks obviously read you on Southern Pigskin. I know you have a new book out. Tell people about that and uh, where they can find out more information. Yeah, thanks for mentioning it. Uh, it's called The Road of Reciprocity. It's a fiction book um, about a World War II 
U.S. dispatch rider that finds out his brothers may be wounded behind enemy lines. Um, came out last Saturday. It's available on Amazon.com. I just searched The Road of Reciprocity. It's in hardcover and Kindle right now. The paperback will be coming out in early November. And I'd love to hear feedback from, from readers or fans. Um, and if you want a, a signed copy from me, I'll eventually be sending out those. Email me for one of those. E, uh, my, my email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. And again, check that out. Dave Holcomb, our guest here on 3 Out. Dave, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Dave Holcomb joining us here in an interesting weekend in the ACC upcoming. We've got more to come here, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. On this Friday, Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And I know Georgia, Florida coming up, and Ben always enjoys talking back and forth with the fans. Ben, now a new way... For fans to get uh, directly to you. Tell us about that. Yes. So uh, it has finally happened for all the fans. I know you were saying to yourself, I wish I could talk trash to Ben. Ben got a big face. He think he know everything. So now, now what has happened, I, I have partnered with this uh, this company called Subtext. And I have a number that you can actually text. So get your, get your, get your pens ready. You know, you know get, get everything ready. It is You can text me at 850-8484-BEN. That's 850 850-84- 84-B-E-N. Now, the thing about subtext is it's a chance for me to just talk about all things sports. It's, it's when sports and, uh, and real life collide. Nothing is off limits. Well, at least I say nothing is off limits. <laughs> and if one of y'all say something ridiculous and I got to, uh, you know, say something to you about it. But it's a chance for me to just, you know, uh, kind of build my own team. I've always been a part of teams that was already orchestrated. This is my chance to build my own team. 84 Reasons with being Troop. Text me at 850 850- 8484-BEN, and nothing is off limits. Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia, whatever you want to call it. Baseball fans, basketball fans, you know, we, you know, it's where sports and life collide. We're going to have some fun. But once again, the number is 850-8484-BEN. And, hey, man, let's, you know, let's get what's on your mind off your mind. And, listen, if some of y'all want to talk trash about BJ and Kevin, let me know. I'm going to tell them <laughs> what you said. But, no, no make, make sure I holler, man. But, yeah, partner with this company called Subtext. Looking forward to you being a part of this, uh, being a part yeah. of this, um, you know, this community of mine. And uh, let's see how far we can take this thing. 2 a.m., send them off. Oh, my Those God. are the best ones. Ben will respond to you. <laughs> I will say this. I, I mean, it never, ever No, tweet at Ben and say, Ben, are you not watching the Braves game? Good. Don't, don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, I mean, I, I got to I gotta go back to my Twitter sphere. I mean, I'm, I didn't watch the other day. And we obviously, I didn't watch last night that we lost. So, you know, the curse it's over, even though it's the only reason why I caught the pass in 2002 because of the Georgia curse. But no, I think it's I think it's always fun to be able to have uh, you know uh, fan interaction or just people to people interaction. And Kevin, I mean, some of us who don't like to talk, we do like to text. You will get a response from from a text. You can call somebody, they won't pick up, and you can text them. They're like, "What's up? I just I just called you. I don't feel like talking." So listen, so let's text. Let's, let's text. It's you know uh, subtext. Like I said, eight five zero eight four eight four Ben. Give us on your mind, off your mind with sports. And uh, and real life collide. And like I said, I mean, if y'all want to know how weird BJ Bennett really is, just 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 text me, and I will let you know after I forward it to him. Cause you know, and and, and I might give you uh, BJ Bennett a real phone number if y'all text me at eight five zero 
A4. <laughs> A4BN. Just saying. You call him uh, personally <laughs> that, and tell that, him that, everything that, that's that, wrong with that him. That would be the greatest. I, you know what? BJ not going to pick up because we can't get BJ to pick up for us. So he shows hell ain't for to pick up for y'all. So, we, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. You can say, is this the best <laughs> or the greatest text you've ever received at the end of the day? Let are him you go asking off him that. or are you telling him? Yeah, yes. Are you asking me? Are you telling me that 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 is true? That's that that would be good. Like even if they're like auto BJ responses uh, to that, yeah. Come on, you already know what I'm talking. Listen, about. listen. Y'all text me so y'all can tell Kevin that triple chocolate really exists. It doesn't exist. <laughs> you can claim it just like the curse doesn't exist. Triple double chocolate? No. Listen, two chocolate. things that Kevin don't exist: triple chocolate and uh, boneless chicken wings. That's a chicken. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. a chicken strip. That is not a chicken wing. I will believe triple chocolate exists <laughs> when I get triple strawberry. And triple vanilla and all that kind of stuff going on. Doesn't matter. We'll come back. Take three right around the corner here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here. Hour two of Three and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot to get to here on the show. We'll hear from uh, Mike Norvell this hour. Also, Lawton Swan in the final hour of the program. And our picks for the college football weekend. Sure to go wrong. So, uh, some games to pick coming up in the final hour of the program. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, BJ and Ben, NBA back in the last couple of days, uh, opening night, and uh, several teams, I think the Hawks had their opening night uh, last night. Take one is Trey Young, a top 15 player in the NBA. Yes, and to save the audience, you know, three or four minutes of me stammering through names, we did this in the show meeting, and I think he is definitely top 15 based on what he did last season, last postseason, uh, top 10, you know, maybe not quite there yet. Of course, you still have superstars all over the place in the NBA, but I think Trey has played himself into that conversation. You have stars, you have superstars, and I think Trey Young is a superstar. Hawks look great, by the way, in their opening win over Dallas, but uh, top 15, yes, I am very comfortable saying that. I feel like that is fair for Trey Young. Yes, he is a top 15, BJ, and this is why. The same reason why, the same thing I say when it comes to Hall of Famers, if you got to hesitate, they're not a Hall of Famer. If you have to hesitate when answers about Trey Young, he is a top 15 player. There aren't a lot of superstars in the NBA. Right? You got you got Giannis, you got LeBron, you know, you got AD, you know, you got Kawhi, you got Dame Dollars, you know, you got a lot of guys. Who brought out the best in the Bucks last year? That would be Trigger Trey Young. And the thing is, I know you got Luka Doncic. Okay. I know we traded for Luka. I mean, I know you traded Luka to get uh Trey. Who got who got the max contract first? That would be Trigger Trey. Who's on the better team? I don't know if I don't know if the cast of characters around Trey is better than those around Luka, but I do know who make their team better. So yes. Trick or Trey Young is the top 15 talent. You can add tweet me, biscuits and gravy. We can talk about it. Hey, you left out the underscore in there. They won't get me with that with that Twitter handle. Apparently, I will get to that later. I'll get to that coming up after take three. Take two. Game six tonight between Houston, the Astros, and the Boston Red Sox. Which team do you feel has the better offense? Yeah, and I think my you know first visceral reaction was was Houston, but you go and look at the the production, the stats here in the postseason. Uh, Boston has 22 home runs in the postseason. The next closest team is the Dodgers with 14. 
So Boston has been on just an offensive tear here in the postseason, and they're second in batting average at, at 285 behind only the White Sox, who got eliminated right away. So Boston, offensively, the batting average is higher than what Houston has. The home run numbers are are almost double what Houston has. Uh, I think that, you know, Martinez and, 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 and Bogarts and Hernandez, I mean, this is a really – really good balanced lineup. I know you have maybe bigger names with Houston, but the way they're playing right now, I, I will take the Red Sox. This goes back to that. Who would you who would you rather the Braves play, you know, uh, you know, uh, in the NLCS or what the Dodgers or the Gi- I mean both of these offenses are incredible. You talk about Boston, uh, you know, and freaking Houston. I mean, Altuve and company, BJ, can match with the best of them. I know, I, and sometimes, BJ, numbers can be deceiving. I know you're giving me, you know, uh, I know you a stats guy. We're talking about what Boston is doing. Think about Houston, man. When they get the match, and it gets ugly, and it stays ugly for the entire game. I know, you know, we don't know if Houston is having help when it comes to knowing what pitches, you know, is coming. But maybe we've moved on from there. But give me Houston. I just think that Altuve and his uh and the, and, the, and his brother will just find a way to go out there and uh match just a little bit better than the Red Sox. Yeah, I think the Astros scare me more than the Red Sox. I'm not saying the Red Sox aren't better, but from a from that standpoint, I would be a little bit more worrisome of the Astros. And if they're still cheating and getting caught in in this day and age, like really, like how 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 ridiculous would you have to be in that Houston organization to, to still be doing something like that? But yeah, if it's if it's me and you get to pick, I think I'd rather play the Red Sox. Although the Astros with a chance to close it out tonight uh, in this uh, this game six, game seven would be tomorrow uh, if Boston comes back and wins tonight to even the series. All right, moving along, take three. Which top ten team? Do you think of as more of a legitimate contender, Michigan or Michigan State? Both are undefeated at the moment. Of course, they still got a lot of big games in the Big Ten, but who do you kind of look as more of a legitimate contender at this point? And I believe they play next Saturday in East Lansing. Um, both of these teams have have backloaded schedules, right? Michigan and Michigan State play Saturday, and then I'm looking at Michigan's schedule here. After Michigan State in mid-November, they have at Penn State, and then at the end of the month, they of course have Ohio State, and you look at Michigan State's schedule, they have Michigan coming up, then they have Purdue, we'll see if they're still ranked, and then they finish the season with Ohio State and Penn State. So, you don't you don't necessarily know if those two teams will be there at the end, but I trust Michigan State more. I think, I think Michigan State with the running game they have, Kenneth Walker right now leads the nation in rushing. He has 997 yards and three and uh, nine touchdowns, three yards short of a thousand through his seventh game. He's averaging almost 150 yards per game. He's incredible. I mean, he's got to be right there in the Heisman Trophy conversation. I think Michigan State has had you know a close game or two, but for the most part, a little more consistent. And I understand Miami without De'Aaron King. It's not the same team, but back when Miami was still in the national polls uh, in mid-September, Michigan State went to Miami and beat the Hurricanes 38 to, to, to what, 17. 38 to 17 on the road. We've seen this offense score 42, 38 a couple of times, 48, 31. Uh, this offense has been really good with Kenneth Walker. Uh, Mel Tucker, obviously one of the hot names in coaching right now with what he's done with the Spartans. But we'll learn a lot more about both teams next Saturday. But for right now, I will I will take Michigan State. BJ, I know we try to stay away from the eye test and, uh, you know, recency bias or, you know, uh, past, you know, past accomplishments. But 
I'm going to go with Michigan State because the thing about Mel Tucker was people was thinking that him having a – I don't even know if he uh, put his coat down at uh, Colorado before he even took the job at Michigan State, but, but doing a really, really good job at Michigan State. And it, and, it's, and and they're really going out there playing really, really solid football. Michigan Beach, it's, I always get called – is it just hype? I mean, Michigan get that Dallas Cowboy type hype, don't they? My goodness, they got the brand. They got the brand equity, but I just don't see it. Michigan is not going to beat Ohio State. It is not in Harbaugh's contract. He is not allowed to beat Ohio State. But for me, it's Michigan State because new coach, you know, uh, you know, uh, same result. When you talk about what they want to do, they're going to play. They're going to play that 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 uh, ground and pound on offense. They're going to try to you know play that uh, you know opportunistic type defense. So for me, give me Michigan State. Uh, you know, give me that. What is it? Go green. Give me that. Give me that. Go green for me. I'm not. I'm not dealing with a uh, go blue ever in life. But you know what's interesting, Kevin, is, is is I think a lot of people were here, and you mentioned Michigan with the hype. I think a lot of people think about Michigan State and go, yeah, they probably uh, aren't in the conversation for being a national contender. They've made the playoff. And granted, it didn't go well against Alabama in the semifinal, but you're, you're talking about, what, less than a dozen teams that have, that have made the college football playoff? And Michigan State is one of those teams. So I think more of a recent history of national contention than we realize when we think about Michigan State. And I, I'm with you. And maybe it's just because we've been burned a couple of times, but I'm a little hesitant to buy into Michigan as a national contender just because we have not seen that uh, prove true late in the season yet. So I'm, I'm going with Michigan State. Yeah, both of them, I think, still have to play Penn State. And both of them still have to play Ohio State. So... I don't know if either one of them are necessarily a big contender, but yeah, and until I see, until I kind of see Michigan do it against Ohio State or someone like that, then I'll be like, okay, I, I think they're there uh, because they've lost so many in a row. Michigan State, if I had to give it to somebody, I, w- I agree, BJ. I would kind of lean that direction with you uh, there to uh, to Michigan State, and certainly can run the football. It could be an interesting game there, as you said, in East Lansing in a week and a little bit over a week plus. And Mel Tucker, right, we've seen his name, and I mean, who knows where we are with this, but we've seen his name mentioned as a possible candidate for the LSU job. I think that would be a great hire. We'll have to wait and see how all that plays out, but it's interesting that as as some of these short lists start coming out for jobs that aren't even open in some cases, uh, but uh, I think think Mel Tucker's been mentioned as one of those top candidates potentially for the job at LSU. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at, uh, at this time, Ben. Right before we came on, tried to hit me with a little bit of uh, so apparently someone sent him a message uh, at the the eight five zero eight four eight four bin. It said that what, what did he say? Try to get me to rep yeah, Atlanta he, he, United. He said, he, said, he said quote Kevin needs to start repping Atlanta United. Uh, my homeboy Kent, shout out to Kent. Kent said uh, we need Kevin to start repping Atlanta United because he says he only hear you talk about the Braves and obviously we were talking about Trigger Trey and he was like, what about Atlanta United? I said Kevin, you know Kevin say his his jersey got caught up in the mail. <laughs> Oh, here's what I want to know, Ben. I mean, and first off, great point. Shout out to Atlanta United. But did you have to request the Tallahassee uh, area code? Is that is that how that worked? Well, I mean, uh, people was like, uh, just give me every code. No one cares. And, you know, and then they just gave me A50. I, when I first heard the A50, I was like, A50. I barely get in here. I tell BJ, BJ, I say, uh, what's the, I say, BJ, I say, what's the name? I go A50. He go, oh. But those of you who don't know, BJ loves the A five O, you know, and the, and the whole thing about no, no, no. I said, uh, I said, uh, give me a number. I can't remember. They they decided with the A five O thing, BJ. I had because if it was up to me, I would have picked. I would have not have picked. I said, give me every code, and no one cares. So they gave me A five O, and that's what they gave me, and that's what I'm dealing with. So yes, once again, holla at your boy sub text eight five O eight four eight four Ben 
and make sure, uh, and, and if you are an Atlanta United fan, <laughs> Kevin Thomas told me to tell you he looks forward to seeing you in Mercedes-Benz Dome very, very soon. For a Falcons game? <laughs> I will say this. I, when, I was, when I went to go, when I, uh, when I was doing the Celebration Bowl not too many years ago and I walked away from the stadium, I'm looking at this big old, I said, what is that? And, and I finally said, that's a, that's a soccer ball. Because I'm like, what, you know, I'm like, you know, what a big Falcon at? And, and I'm like, what is that big? I said, is that a big old gigantic, like, Go ball. That's a soccer. Okay, got it. Atlanta United. It was a it was a soccer ball. Got it. And BJ hasn't gone to an Atlanta United game yet. And I know BJ is just daring to go. He wants to go very badly. I'm, I'm not waiting, going. I'm waiting not so going. Kevin and I can go together. No, we're no. Making a, make a special a special. Okay, break. here it is. Here it is. Falcons win the Super Bowl. Falcons win the Braves win the Super Bowl. Break. Braves win the World Series. I'm just all over. Braves win the World Series. Uh, Kevin has to go to Atlanta United again. He, I mean, that, that, that should be. He can do, I get to, do I get to hit the big giant nail? Oh, no, yes. We're we going to have to find a way. Listen, this can I hit the, is it a nail or a spike? What is the, it? It's 2022. Here it is. If the, if, the, if the Braves win the World Series, Kevin's going to a, um, to Atlanta United game, and I got to race Mr. Freeze. I got to race him. But, you know, That's we all gonna, it's all going to go very badly at the end of the day, regardless. But, uh, <laughs> I, if I get to hit this, is it a spike or a nail? What is it that they hit yeah, before? Yeah, the, yeah, it's the pregame, yeah, spike, yeah. Maybe if I get to do that, I might go. And then I'll be like Ben in a Florida game. I'll be like, I'll be in the parking lot. And, I'm sure uh, you're very high on the list to be honored pregame. I'm <laughs> sure you're right up there. I, I got to be 1B, probably. I'm right there, uh, ready to make the cut. We got more to come here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Falcons in South Florida this weekend. How bad do the Falcons need to win? We'll get to that next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben Falcons in Miami. Miami, uh, just getting back from London, you lost to the Jaguars, Miami. So is this a must win for Atlanta to try to bump off the Dolphins this weekend? Yes. I mean, the Dolphins are really struggling. And like you said, what, the Jaguars had lost 20 straight games. 20 straight games, and they were able to beat Miami. You want Atlanta to get back to 500. I, I, I don't know what the expectations are, if there's a consensus on expectations for the Falcons right now. I think you're taking it kind of week by week. Uh, but you do feel like games like this are, are obvious, easy must-wins. And I say easy, relatively speaking, within the context of the NFL. You know, in the National Football League, anything goes. But you aren't going to have a better matchup. Than, than this, and not only is Miami one and five, they've lost five games in a row. So they're on that Jacksonville trajectory from last year where you win the first game, everybody's looking around going, okay, and then you just lose from there on out. So I think for a franchise with new leadership where you're still looking probably for some early validation, some early affirmation, uh, you're kind of settling in, trying to find your rhythm, you've probably not realized your full potential yet, you got to win this one. You have to win this one. Miami's bad, Ben. You know Miami's bad, BJ. When we were talking about the Falcons, they listen, man, they got to get this one. Like, my goodness. I, don't, I really don't know what's going on right now in Miami outside of the fact that, you know, I know that Coach Flores is trying to come out and say two is our guy. <clears throat> That's not true. They're going to try to get Deshaun Watson. But, no, Atlanta's trying to build some momentum. I mean, uh, how much – how much? Uh, how much did uh, Kyle Pitts get to go out there and really show what he can do? You know, when when uh, you know, really those guys without getting some guys back healthy. But if you are, you know, if you if you think about all the Smith, look, man, you got to try to build some momentum when you got bad teams. You get beat by better teams. And I'm sorry, 
There ain't too many teams in the league. Well, there are teams in the league worse than Atlanta, and Miami just happens to be one of them. So, yes, Atlanta got to go out there and take care of business. You don't want to lose to a 1-5 team right now because that doesn't give you any hope moving forward because we know that we know that this schedule is only going to get rougher down the stretch, and Atlanta's coming, Atlanta's coming off, you know, big-time win. I don't like these overseas wins, but you will take them. They count the same. Had to fly a long way to get it. But you did get it, so yes, got to take care of a team in Miami that I don't know what's going on with Coach Flores right now. This Miami team, man, I mean, they, they tried to build through the draft. Hasn't really been there a year. Tua can't stay healthy. You got the better quarterback. You got the better role players. You got the better team. Atlanta should come out with a dub. Now here's why I say this too, Kevin, because when you look at Atlanta and kind of the, the direction of the organization, and of, of course you just made a coaching change, so the previous year is not going to be uh, a showcase stretch for you. But it's been almost one full calendar year since the Falcons have had a winning streak. And for an organization that not that long ago was, I mean, I hate to bring it, but was on the on the verge of a Super Bowl title and was a postseason regular with Matt Ryan, you're talking about almost a calendar year since you've won back-to-back games. You have to go back to last season, a win over Denver the first week of November and a win over Carolina the last weekend of October since you've won back-to-back games since that point you went what one and six down the stretch to finish last season and then entering this season you're two and three you opened up with two losses you barely got one against New York and then you lost to, 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 to Washington so in, in in crazy fashion now you did beat New York you've had a bye week but coming off of a bye week against maybe the worst team in the NFL, this is just, if if you don't win this, there's no excuse. And I think we're all still waiting and seeing before kind of issuing a uh, a detailed statement in terms of what we think of the Arthur Smith era. But you haven't had a, a streak in nearly a year. You have to get this done. Oof. I mean, BJ, we'll see. I mean, I, I think sometimes people be thinking that new coach, new you know, uh, you know, a new way of going about doing things. And you got a lot of you got a lot of guys on the team that's been there and that that was a part of a they went from a winning culture to a losing culture very very quickly in Atlanta. Arthur Smith inherited, uh, you know, some guys that could definitely go out there and get it done. But you can't, you know, you got to measure yourself against bad teams. Bad teams stay bad teams because better teams beat them all the time. It's been a long time since Miami been had something to uh, ride home about. But Matty Ice is a former MVP of the league, been to a Super Bowl. You added Kyle Pitts, Gage and those guys are supposed to be back. Really, and those guys are supposed to be back. Come on, Deion Jones. Come on, Grady Jarrett. You know, I mean, uh, come on, Dante Fowler Jr. Dude, please don't get exposed by a 1-5 team because nothing says more about you when you're trying to find some momentum than to get exposed by a team that the game is probably over before it even begins. And I think Deshaun Watson is going to be a Miami Dolphin. I don't care what anybody says. I, you, know who I, you know who I trust in this life? Kevin Thomas. You know, who I, you, know, you know who I don't trust? Head coaches, GMs, owners. I cannot trust these people, BJ. All I'm saying is, BJ, Jimbo Fisher. Did he ever tell DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Francois when he was leaving? Nope. Just took his Christmas tree and left it on the front lawn and got to the airport. So don't trust them coaches. Don't trust them GMs. Don't trust them owners. They all stick together. And, again, if you're the Falcons, uh, look, got to go beat a team while they're down. I mean, I know you could say, well, you're a bad team or not a great team, but this is an opportunity even on the road to go beat a Miami team that's lost five in a row. And might Miami at some point, especially if, as you said, Ben, they – don't like the directions going with Brian Flores. Might they be the 2021 Jaguars where you win the first one 
and then, then you're playing for that playing for that draft pick. Are you uh, the, trying the, to say? Are you trying to say the Jaguars are trendsetters? That, that no, I'm just saying. I, I, I'm, I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying if you are Brian Flores, and and right now you got to go to your your fan base and your ownership and go, yeah. Uh, we lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, huh? So, yeah, they, we lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, are they better this year? I saw they got Trevor. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they had lost twenty games in a row, more than a season's worth of games, and they and and they beat us. You know you bad. So you, you feel know, good about the direction we're going? You know you bad when the Jags tell you bad. Well, y'all bad. <laughs> Jesus, like what's wrong with y'all, bro? We just said, are they trying to are they trying to trendsetter? That's not the type of trend you. Yeah, want you're to be the on. negative trendsetter. You know, I got better for my rookie year than my my, my uh, second year. We went from four wins to five wins. We was balling out of control. <laughs> no, the worst place to be is if if all you do is play football and you won one game in the calendar year. One, hey fellas, we can build all this, but we beat the <laughs> Dolphins. Well, that's and- building. <laughs> I, I mean, I, guess. I, I still think on the field there there are some uncertainties to a certain extent. I mean, I think you've had some moments where the pass rush has been better. I know Dante Fowler has a couple of sacks, and and look, you'll take that if you can build on that. I think the running game is, is still a little bit of a mystery, and some of that may be due to just limitations at the line of scrimmage with your offensive line. Uh, Jalen Mayfield, you know, adjusting as a rookie, other guys, but I think you 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 have Mike Davis with maybe 15 or 20 more carries than Cordero Patterson, who's been great as a playmaker. I mean, he's done it all, all over the field. But kind of what's your overall identity? And this should be a game where you are able to set the tone. What does that mean if you're Atlanta? I mean, Ben, have you seen more Green Bay Packers of this Atlanta offense and less Tennessee Titans in terms of stylists? I don't mean the same, but you have a wide receiver playing running back. And that that is a guy that you are featuring. Uh, And I think when Arthur Smith got hired, you're like, oh, man. We're gonna we're gonna make it real simple on Matt Ryan. We're gonna block and we're gonna give him a bruising running back. And Matt Ryan doesn't need to sit back there and throw it forty times. And it, and it, seemingly the opposite has happened. And you've turned more into the uh, what 2018, 2019 Green Bay Packers, where hey, we got a guy that can run the ball, but we're gonna let our quarterback just whip it everywhere and see what happens. Yeah, Arthur Smith was very, very spoiled when you had a guy like Derrick Henry up there when he was an OC at with the Titans. And every time the Titans play well, they just get a ball to 22. Well, 22 has turned to 84. 84 just happens to play receiver, but he also gets more carries than Mike Davis. I don't know if that's going to be a winning recipe. Now, I will say Cordell Patterson put on a show, uh, you know, not too many games ago when he was but – he, but, but the problem was he was catching the ball. He had three receiver touchdowns. So what is he? Well, he's a running back and a, and a receiver. Coming out of training camp is Mike Davis this, Mike Davis that. Mike Davis get to the game, and they tell Mike Davis, hey, tap Cordell and get him in the game. So I, we'll, we'll see, but whenever you got guys playing out of position in the NFL, while it can work in spurts, it's not going to work to help you win games consistently. But, hey, Cordell Patterson, hey, man, you pay a man for one thing, he can do other things. The more you can do, the more you're going to play. But I just think that get a ball to running backs who, I don't know, 5'10", not receivers who are 6'3", with 8'4", on their chest, standing right behind Matty Ice. Kevin, I think for me, I want to see the offensive line play better. You know, so much starts up front. I know Christian says he watches games at the line of scrimmage. I I think this will be a good Sunday to pay attention to the front, not only offensively but defensively, against a team that's already out of it. Can you control things from the defensive front? Can you set the tone along the offensive front? I think keep an eye on the line of scrimmage for the Falcons in this game. Yeah, and again, we'll see if Atlanta can uh, come back and win two in a row. Uh, after a, uh, uh, you know, look, I, I, I think we're, we know this is a work in progress for Atlanta. I think people said, look, success would be not picking in the top 
seven or eight again, and they got a little work to do uh, to get out of that range, BJ, and they've got the Dolphins coming up uh, this weekend. We still got a lot more to get to uh, here on the show. Our picks sure to go wrong, fellas, as somehow when uh, you go to ESPNCoastal.com, you can uh, check this out. Cody Queen leading the picks. If you can explain to me how exactly that's happening, I would love to hear it. Rigged? I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. We are making it so that Cody wins. That's that's that's, that's exactly what Cody we're is haunting us. It's all good. I'll keep keep balling that Cody James Queen. We love Cody. I'm just of saying. I, no, 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 I, I, listen, for, for a guy that when when he first came to us said, "Look, I don't really follow. I'm a pro football guy." To be leading the picks where you are picking college football game, I'm I'm wondering what his secret is. Christian says, "Is look, he just doesn't overthink it. He just gut." Yep, they win, and, and that's what he goes with. It's amazing. Been hanging, oh. out with B, been hanging out with BJ for too long, psychoanalyzing everything, breaking down every minute number, and I am losing. I'm going to just go back to doing how I did when I took uh, tests back in the day. I'm going to just go with my good. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't you know, do too well in those tests, a- but I had to trust me. A, B, A, B, A, B. Just, just pick this. Just pick thing. We'll come back. We got more to come. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPN Coast.